Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is naturopathic physician, Dr. Fiona McCullough. Dr. McCullough is a medical advisor for IVF.ca, Canada's premier fertility community, and is on the medical advisory committee for the Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome Awareness Association. She's a frequent lecturer to professionals and to students at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, and is here today on Health Watch to talk about her new book, Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, a proven program to reset your hormones, repair your metabolism, and restore your fertility. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Fiona McCullough. Thank you so much, Dr. Naven. It's great to be here. So let's start with um, what polycystic ovarian syndrome is in the classic sense. I, you cite that it's the most common hormonal disorder and also that many people who have it don't fit the standard definition, but perhaps we should just um, let people know what the standard definition is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So although it's called polycystic ovary syndrome, it's actually not really directly related to cysts in the ovaries. Um, It's much more involved than that. So it's a complex hormonal condition that also affects the metabolism. So it's associated with insulin resistance and hormonal dysregulation, so irregular hormone, uh, hormonal levels in women, irregular cycles. The cysts are sort of, you know, there's something that are present in some women who have it, but not always. So what are some of the classic symptoms that um, a listener might uh, hear and be alerted to to check out to see whether they have polycystic ovarian syndrome? So, yeah, the most common symptoms are um, menstrual cycles that are very far apart. So a long time in between having periods that can um, be associated. It's actually caused by uh, delays in ovulation. So women who have polycystic ovary syndrome tend to ovulate late. Um, Not everyone has that symptom, but it's quite common. Uh, Some of the other symptoms are signs of what we call androgen excess. So the uh, excess levels of hormones like testosterone, and those can cause symptoms like acne, hair loss, and something called hirsutism, which is hair growth on the face, um, coarse hair. Um, So those are are quite common in women with, with PCOS. Uh, some of the other symptoms are metabolic, so symptoms including weight gain around the stomach, difficulty losing weight despite making you know good efforts to do so, um, and a predisposition to conditions like type 2 diabetes. Uh, you may see that in the family. So that metabolic component is a pretty strong aspect of PCOS. So can you describe a little bit what the controversy is around diagnosis um, or why it's difficult for people to um, get diagnosed properly with the condition? Yeah, so the main reason is that it presents differently in different women. So although there are common threads, there can, you know, women can have different aspects of it that are more noticeable. So you know, one woman may not have any cysts on her ovaries, but she may still not ovulate very often. Whereas another woman might have a lot more of the androgen excess symptoms like the acne and hair growth. So that makes it difficult because um, unless doctors are really used to, to looking out for some of the signs of that, 
um, it can be easy to miss. And then the other thing about PCOS is it changes in, in each woman throughout her lifespan. So some of the symptoms improve with age, whereas other ones get worse. And so a woman who may have had it when she was, you know, in her 20s, you know, she may have had irregular cycles then, which regulate in her late 30s. And so then it can be missed um, if it wasn't caught earlier. So for that reason, it can, it, it's a lot of women have it and either go a really long time without being diagnosed or are unaware that they have it at all. And is there a straightforward diagnosis, a test for polycystic ovarian syndrome, or is that also part of the uh, potential difficulties in getting a diagnosis, that, is that there's not a, a straightforward way to get the diagnosis? Yeah, exactly. So there are many different tests that you can do to look for it. So to get a, a diagnosis according to the Rotterdam criteria, which are the most well-known criteria for diagnosing it, you have to have two of the three symptoms or criteria. One of them is a long time between periods, and that would be anything over 35 days long. Um, and even if that happened, uh, you know, when a woman was younger and then they regulated later, you could still consider that. Um, and I'll talk also about teenagers and how that can be confusing too. The second criteria is any any sign of androgen excess. So that could be the hirsutism, acne, hair loss on the head, um, or high high testosterone in blood tests. Um, and then the third one is the polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. So you only need two of those three criteria. But there are many other ways to really look for it. And then I just wanted to mention about teenagers. So when girls just go through puberty, they all enter a state which is similar to PCOS. So they can tend to have these far apart periods and the acne, and that often passes, and that's not, ne that's not necessarily PCOS. So some women are also being diagnosed with it really young, and they don't actually have it. So that's another confusing uh, aspect of it for clinicians, I think. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to Dr. Fiona McCullough about her book, Eight Steps to... Can you talk maybe briefly about what the conventional intervention is for it and, and what, if any, drawbacks you see to, to going the conventional route? Sure, yeah. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great treatments for PCOS. So depending on what um, aspects the woman is looking to treat, so it can affect fertility, for example. Um, it can cause menstrual irregularity. And then the other thing it can cause is the metabolic symptoms. So the main treatments would be the birth control pill for the menstrual irregularity, so that's the conventional treatment. For fertility, it would be uh, medications like Clomid, which basically stimulate the ovaries um, to produce an egg. And then for the metabolic conditions uh, or the, you know, the, the insulin resistance, which is very, very predominant, it's often metformin. So those are the main tools that are used in conventional medicine. So, um, but they don't address every aspect of it. And um, a lot of women are really unsatisfied with, with those, um, those options. And is there, um, if somebody's not wanting to get pregnant and they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, are there risks to not treating it? Um, yes. So if, you know, if, for example, you were to go a very long time between having periods, which some women do, 
you can actually develop a thickening of the endometrial lining, which is called endometrial hyperplasia, and is a bit of a risk for endometrial cancer. So that's something to look out for. So if women are not getting regular periods, they should get ultrasounds just to make sure that they're not getting that, that change to their, their lining. Um, so those are the main, the main uh, that's the main risk with having it, plus uh, the metabolic uh, risks are, in my opinion, you know, definitely the most profound because diabetes develops very slowly over a very, very long time. And during that time of insulin resistance before someone gets diabetes, a lot of damage is happening to their tissues, their vascular system, cardiovascular risks are accumulating. So not only the hormonal components, which is often how it's thought of, unfortunately, it's, it's thought of as a reproductive condition, but it's been shown that PCOS persists past menopause and women are much more prone to cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes. So in my opinion, you know, there are, you know those are the things that you really, really want to focus on um, and that's the, the biggest risk, really. And um, fortunately, diet and nutrition makes a huge difference for women, women with PCOS. Well, let's go on to talk some, about some of the treatment interventions. You, you start um, your treatment section with inflammation. Um, tell us why you decide to start there and how it's related to PCOS and then, and then what a treatment plan addressing inflammation might look like. Sure. So inflammation in PCOS, it's really central to the condition, and um, it's actually thought uh, now that it's it's almost causative. So women with PCOS, regardless of their weight, their fat cells actually function differently than other women's fat cells. So they tend to leak more fatty acids out and that causes um, inflammation. And that inflammation actually causes the, the tissues to be insulin resistant. Um, and this is thought to be, you know, the central kind of cog in the middle that's turning everything in the PCOS picture. So um, when we're looking at inflammation with PCOS, you know, we, we want to look at what we would consider to be metabolic inflammation. So that is related really to fat cell dysfunction, insulin resistance, you know, comes it's almost like they're kind of a pair, the insulin resistance and the inflammation. So the treatment plan for inflammation really does include changes in diet, you know, following a more anti-inflammatory diet, avoiding um, sugars um, and refined uh, foods and refined grains. But, you know, also looking at, you know, there are some supplements that can quench some of this oxidative stress that women with PCOS are continuously exposed to, um, with this chronic low-grade inflammation. So there are some supplements like, for example, resveratrol, which has uh, some really good studies on it showing that it's beneficial for PCOS, primarily due to its antioxidant actions and protection against inflammation. Um, but then we want to look and see, does, does, you know, does a woman have any other types of inflammation in her body? Is she reacting to anything? Um, that she's eating, or does she have an autoimmune condition at the same time? Because women with PCOS are more prone to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So there's a lot of different things to look at with inflammation. Where is the inflammation coming from? And then treating those in the individual person. So um, are there specific foods? You mentioned some foods that are, that are bad to be eating, a lot of refined, refined grains and sugars. Are there some specific foods that are particularly good to be eating? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with with the foods, you know, what, what I tend to use is something called the food insulin demand. Um, this 
is a new metric. It's it's related to the glycemic index, but it actually includes a lot of foods, um, whereas the glycemic index includes only carbohydrates. So the insulin demand tells us how much insulin we, we actually secrete when we eat a certain food. And so what I try to do is um, recommend foods that are low insulin demand, but um, focusing on lean proteins, healthy proteins, because they're very satisfying, um, a lot of vegetables, healthy fats, so a lot of omega-3 fatty uh, fats or fish oil. Uh, fish is a great food to, to have, um, but nuts uh, and seeds are also a good fat. They're, you know, they have a, a, a blend of different kinds of um, fats in them, avocados, um, olive oil, so including some of those healthy fats um, along with the proteins. And then keeping the carbohydrates moderated, and that would that the amount of that would really depend on the woman and how insulin resistant she is. Um, but avoiding anything refined, so uh, sticking to carbohydrates like berries, for example. Um, some vegetables are higher in carbohydrates, like cauliflower. Um, and then just uh, looking at, you know, uh, carbohydrates like squash or. Uh, sweet potato because they're more nutrient dense. So just following that kind of nutrient dense plate with each meal. And that is actually very uh, helpful because it keeps the amount of insulin that's secreted on the lower side, but it also keeps the blood sugar very, very stable. And that just helps to reset some of the patterns of uh, insulin resistance and ups and downs of blood sugar that most women with PCOS experience. And what is the way you explain insulin resistance to the layperson? I know that um, it's not unique to polycystic ovarian syndrome. There could be listeners out there now who have insulin resistance who don't have PCOS, but maybe it's going to lead to some other condition. So what is, um, what is insulin resistance? Yeah, so insulin resistance, um, it's something where uh, we, we can develop insulin resistance by gaining weight, for example. Um, and what happens with insulin resistance is when our cells are exposed to a lot of, of energy, so basically a lot of calories of some sort, or especially certain types of calories, but um, the cells become very full of energy. And as a result, there's a lot of insulin required to get that sugar from the blood into the cell. So the main role of insulin is to take the sugar from the bloodstream and to direct it into the cell. And it also blocks the breakdown of fat as well. So when we have a lot of energy inside our cells and we're constantly secreting a lot of insulin, you know, to put that energy in, the cells actually start to put up a barrier to insulin and become resistant to insulin. And then our pancreas uh, notices the extra blood sugar that's in our bloodstream and secretes even more insulin. And so people who are insulin resistant actually have higher insulin levels than other people. So when they eat, their insulin goes up much higher than someone who isn't insulin resistant um, just to deal with the blood sugar and keep it under control. So it's really a, a condition where you end up with a lot more insulin after you eat. Um, also, high insulin levels in between the meals and often high fasting insulin levels. And this is actually associated with type 2 diabetes because it will burn out your pancreas after a while, um, but also with the risk of cardiovascular disease. And um, it's, it's definitely one of the number one causes of cardiovascular disease. Um, but also it's even been associated with a lot of chronic conditions like Alzheimer's. So 
um, being insulin resistant has a lot has a lot of health implications. And you mentioned some dietary interventions, which I presume are good also for insulin resistance, not just inflammation. But could you also talk about any uh, supplement or medicinal uh, interventions you do that are insulin specific? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, probably one of the most useful ones is, um, well, which is used for PCOS specifically, but can also be used for insulin resistance in general, is inositol. Um, so inositol, it used to be classified as a B vitamin, but now it's sort of in its own category, and it's a nutraceutical, and um, it's the second messenger inside the cell which receives the messages from insulin. And so it's been found in numerous studies that supplementing with inositol can be, be beneficial for insulin sensitivity, and it definitely makes sense as to why, looking at its role. And um, it's often given as uh, a powder and there's different forms. There's D-chiro inositol and myo inositol. And some research shows that the best uh, for women actually is a combination of the two forms in the physiologic ratio of 40 to 1. So having more of the myo inositol and less of the D-chiro inositol. So that's one of the, you know, the more well-known supplements, I would say, for PCOS. Um, looking at some of the other supplements that we would use, you know, just for insulin resistance specifically, um, you can look at, for example, uh, a fiber such as glucomannan, which is um, from konjac root. And uh, if you take this fiber with your meals, it actually uh, slows down the release of the, the, the food into your bloodstream and your blood sugar doesn't spike as much, neither does your insulin. So it's a really safe intervention, you know, when you, that, that people can use when they're eating that just helps with that insulin resistance. Well, let's pivot and uh, talk a little bit about androgen excess or high testosterone and other androgens. Um, do you typically have your patients get tested to see what their androgen levels are? And then what are some of the um, interventions that are available to a naturopath or other uh, holistic practitioner to address imbalances in androgen production? Oh, yeah. So androgens in women are interesting because um, as teenagers, our androgens are all high. Um, and then they do decline with age. And so most women in their 40s, even if they have PCOS, they don't have high androgens when you test them. Um, so, and then the other thing to consider is that um, androgens are... Um, basically related to um, uh, our levels of insulin. So if a woman is very insulin resistant, she's much more likely to have high androgens, whereas if, you know, she's not, she's less likely to, to have them. And androgens can also come from the adrenal glands. So DHEA is a different kind of androgen, and that also declines a lot with age. So although I do test them in, in women, I don't um, rely on them entirely, and I look at the clinical signs much more. So if a woman has a lot of hirsutism, even if her testosterone is normal, I still consider that to be high androgens uh, in, that, in that case. And when you say hirsutism, you're, you're referring to uh, facial hair in women. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the facial hair or the, or, or I also find acne in adult women, especially if it's particularly severe, often that's related to PCOS as well because it's quite unusual. So um, that can definitely be a sign of androgen excess. And, and, um, and then... Go ahead. Oh, and so um, 
Yeah, some of the, the interventions that I would tend to use for androgen excess. So definitely going back to the insulin resistance, that's the best way to deal with it. Um, but we do have some really good herbal medicines that are anti-androgenic. So um, spearmint tea is, uh, there's uh, quite a few studies on spearmint tea and hirsutism in particular, um, drinking three cups of spearmint tea per day. And um, I would say as well, some of the other formulas um, in herbal medicine would include peony and licorice, which is a 50-50 combination of those two herbs. Um, there's quite a few studies on that uh, formula from traditional Chinese medicine, which has anti-androgen properties also. Oh, that's interesting. And you, you mentioned licorice several times in the book is a potentially good intervention if someone doesn't have high blood pressure uh, for PCOS. Uh, is, is, are there other properties that you particularly like about that, that herb? Yeah. So I think um, licorice, is, it's helpful for certain women. Um, it's anti-inflammatory, so that's helpful. Um, and I also find it's helpful for women who have uh, the high DHEAS levels, which is the adrenal androgen uh, levels that are, that are high. So that's a sort of different type of PCOS um, because licorice actually has some effects on the adrenal glands as well. And we've you know, used it as an adaptogen for a long time in, in herbalism for that very reason. So I always find it interesting that that's one of the herbs that's been used in, in traditional Chinese medicine for PCOS. And then lastly, maybe we can talk a little bit about um, environmental chemicals and their relationship to hormones and, and the relevance of that to people with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, this is actually something I'm really passionate about because um, as I've been researching it, it's become quite concerning to me just seeing the correlation. Um, and I can just give one example, but um, they they did a study where they, uh, they took a rat which was pregnant and they exposed it one time to bisphenol A. Um, and this they never expose it again to the chemical. Bisphenol A is used in plastics, and it's, it's well known as one of the biggest hormone disruptors um, out there. And it's been removed. You know, it used to be in baby bottles and all kinds of, of plastics, and now, you know, it's been removed. But still, it's, it's everywhere in our environment. Um, the, this rat who was exposed once to bisphenol A, the baby rats, uh, rats had polycystic ovary syndrome from that exposure. Mm. Then they allowed those rats to reproduce again without any further exposures to bisphenol A. And that baby rat's babies uh, later had the most severe form of PCOS. So it was, that to me is very, very concerning, just given that, you know, this bisphenol A was given to the rat at the time when the reproductive organs were developing in, in the fetus. Um, and just thinking about that, you know, if you're, you know, if, if a, a female's reproductive organs are developing, her eggs are in there. And so when you think about the implications of that, it's actually quite scary. So um, if people want to learn more, do you have a website you can point people to? Yeah, absolutely. So I have um, my uh, clinic, which is whitelotusclinic.ca. We have a blog on there with lots and lots of articles. Um, and we're in Toronto. And I also have my own website, which uh, is undergoing development now. It uh, should be out, out really soon, drfionand.com. 
And uh, I have an active Facebook page, too, at Dr. Fiona ND. Do you have any uh, final thoughts you want to share with with people out there who are listening to today's program or people who are are struggling with PCOS? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, as, as a woman who has it myself, um, there's a lot of hope for for you because a lot of the symptoms of PCOS can be reversed and a lot of it can be done with nutrition and natural methods um, because changing our lifestyle, um, it's really up to things, you know, that we can really control, you know, the foods that we're eating and, and all of these types of things. And it can be a very discouraging condition to live with just because um, it can be frustrating to get a diagnosis or to really understand what's going on. But if you really, uh, you know, do some research and, you know, uh, look into some of the options for you, a lot of women are really able to, to turn things around and have a lot of relief from the symptoms. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Dr. McCullough. Thank you so much, Dr. Neiman. It's been great to be on the show. So we're talking today to naturopathic physician, Dr. Fiona McCullough, the author of Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, or Polycystic Ovarian Syndrome, a proven program to reset your hormones, repair your metabolism, and restore your fertility. I'm Dr. David Naiman. You've been listening to Health Watch. Um, Thank you to Tyrell, the engineer today, and stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is Madness Radio.